Hello and welcome to the Pat and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winters, and joining me on the line as does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? There you go, well, Winnow, and looking forward to the season getting underway this week. So it's been a, probably doesn't feel like it's been the longest of waits. It's kind of uh, come up on us pretty quickly, but um, it has, yeah, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, so it's been obviously the pre season's just come to a close, and yeah, all the, the real stuff about to begin, which is great. So I think it's been a pretty slow few weeks unless you're right into Major League Baseball or, um, you know, the, the NFL. But, yeah, I think once the NBA... Follow the baseball, do you, Caddy? You've got a team that... Uh... Yeah, not so much of a team. Um, no, look, I, I did watch the game this afternoon. It was the LA Dodgers and it was Atlanta. Um, and that went down to the wire. So there's a bit of a walk-off hit uh, to get Atlanta over the line in game one of, I think, the National League Championship Series. So... And I certainly don't have a team. I generally try and follow the Chicago teams as a rule, but um, yeah, no, nothing serious in the baseball at all. White Sox doing no good this year, Caddy, or what? <laughs> I could not tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, weren't playing, they weren't playing today, and that was, looked like it was the pointy end of the, the season. So yeah, I doubt that they were uh, uh, much good at all. I would have thought. Well, as you said, Caddy, the the season does kick off this week. So we, we last week we obviously did the the east over and unders. This week we'll jump into the west over and over and unders. But before we get into that, we had some some news about uh, a couple of the teams that we spoke about in depth last week, and we'll, we'll kick it off with the the Philadelphia 76ers. And <clears throat> finally, Ben Simmons he caved. Caddy he decided that uh, losing a shitload of money for no good apparent reason was was good enough for him to to come back and and sort of front up to. To Philadelphia, and I thought the, the most amusing thing to me was he actually turned up to the to the stadium, and they had no idea that he was even going to be there. So I, I'm picturing Ben Simmons getting to the front, and he's got his swipe card, and he's swiping it, and it's not working, and it's not working, and he's he calls out and brand up and said, "Can you let me in?" And, and he's like, well, "What the hell are you doing here, Ben?" Just a bizarre set of circumstances. But what did what did you make about uh, make of the fact that Ben Simmons has actually decided to turn up? Do you think he's gonna Do you think he's gonna play, or is this just a little bit of a charade, and he's gonna pretend he's got a sore back just to collect the check? Yeah, well, I think in the end it shows that uh, money talks and bullshit walks <laughs> to, to some degree because um, I love that. Scene. Yeah, he, he was pretty adamant there for a while that he wasn't going to turn up until there was a trade made, and um, you know, there was an interesting piece from Mona Shelburne wrote during the week. That sort of um, uh, went through uh, some of the sort of moments since the end of last season, and there was a bit, apparently a catch up in LA or Vegas or somewhere in August where the Philly uh, management went and spoke to him, and it was made pretty clear at that point that he wasn't going to uh, or he didn't intend to turn up. So he's certainly had a bit of a change of heart, it seems, um, once I suppose the the checks uh, stopped coming in. So uh, he turned up, and yeah, clearly still hasn't played a preseason game, so it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out. This week, um, I thought the other probably most interesting comments came from um, teammate Danny Green uh, when he was uh, interviewed about it, when he basically said, uh, we're not asking him to shoot jump shots just to come in and be a pro and do your job. So, yeah, fair um, enough too. So, yeah, I don't know how, you know, again, it, it just seems like they're going to be taking pot shots at, at Simmons until he until he you know clearly starts playing. And then if he does, you know, there's a whole other, you know, range of questions around the, the team synergy and, and what type of conditions are going to be in and, and how they're going to uh, respond to him coming back. So, I, look, I think if they all you know, just be professional about it, I, you, I'd probably expect that he will play um, almost straight out of the gates here and um, they've got too much to lose, Philly, by, by not playing him and, and Simmons clearly has too much to lose by by not playing. So I think I think what will probably happen is that he, he'll start the season and then 
I'm sure you know the trade discussion won't quiet down, but at least he'll get out the court and hopefully, for Philly's sake, maybe improve that trade value, which has clearly sunk into to lows over the summer. So what 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 do you what do you think's his best sort of best way for him to handle it? Is he, is he best to go out there play as well as he can uh, to as you said there increase his trade value, which seemed to to be at an all time low, or is he better to go down the James Harden route, which he did last year, and basically just sort of walk his way through and tanked it, and until Houston basically threw up the hands and said, "Well, we we just can't put up with this. We need to trade you." To me, Simmons doesn't seem like that kind of character. He seems a very non. Confrontational, uh, more more a passive aggressive type thing. I can't see him. I'm just envisioning him walking into the room and everybody staring at him. And what the hell does he say? Like, how, how do you even go about that conversation? Do you, would he be the type of person to address the group in in front of everybody, or is he just going to just sort of go in there and go about his business and not even say anything? So it'll be interesting to see the reports that do come out because no doubt all this stuff will get leaked out to the media at some stage about what happens what happened when he did sort of turn up and front the group. But do you think it's best that he plays the best he possibly can or should he just sort of try and tank his way out? No, look, I think he's got to come in and, and, and play and play as best he can. I think he's sort of got the game that is going to allow him to pretty much, you know, continue to not shoot and not put himself in the under uh, further duress than what he's ever been in because, um, you know, the only thing that's going to be controversial if he starts jacking up shots uh, when he hasn't done in the past. So I think he... That'd be good. I hope his first shot he takes is a, is a contested three or, or do you just start <laughs> shooting long bombs? Yeah, I think he'll probably just play how he, he really did at the, at the back end of those playoffs where he, he, he didn't pretty much didn't shoot at all. And <laughs> I think he'll just facilitate, you know, we know he's a terrific defender. So he can kind of bluff his way through by just utilising those two major assets without putting too much pressure on himself around people seeing that he's either found or hasn't found a jump shot in the off-season because I think it's probably fair to say um, he probably hasn't because he, he hasn't been oh, able to Did you one. see some of those Instagram videos, Caddy, of him hitting contested jumpers over guys with the ability of myself or you? Yeah, I think they're the same videos that get leaked out every single summer. So I, I don't think we can go in with any confidence that that's going to be a part of his game. But as I said, I think if he can come in, play defence, facilitate, really just try and help the team any way he can, I think that's going to be his best best course forward and, and I think, you know, if this was a, an Australian type of team, I think that's when you do expect that, you know, the fronting of the group and, you know, basically wearing your heart on your sleeve and, and, and addressing it. But I don't know that's quite how things probably roll uh, over in the NBA. So I think it's more he'll just come in. If they want to play him, they'll play him. And then, as I said, he'll, he'll just effectively do what he did at the end of last season and, and probably, yeah, in the end, force his way out um, via trade anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think that's his best course of action. Go out there, play as well as you can. Um, yeah, increase your trade value, and who knows what happens whether they hold on to him for until the trade deadline or the end of the season, and then revisit it in the off season. But it's it's obviously going to be pretty awkward early on. But you know, once they start getting into the flow of things, and they might start playing very good, and he changes his mind. I doubt that, but but who knows? It's always very strange what happens over in the NBA at times. The other big um, a drama, I guess, that's going on is also with, with Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. So last time we spoke, Caddy, we, we knew that Kyrie had basically said that he wasn't going to get vaccinated and, and that ruled him ineligible to play all home games. And, and the talk was, well, how effective can they be with Irving only playing away games? And since then, that they've had a meeting with, you know, apparently more so the ownership group, but no doubt that Durant and uh, James Harden were involved in discussions as well. And they've decided that he's just not, not going to play at all. They thought it was untenable for them to have certainly one of their best players only 
playing away games and not practicing as much, and it would obviously be very, you know, a big disruption for the team to do that. Did you like the fact that Brooklyn went down that road and basically said to him, if you're not all in, well, then we don't want you at all? Yeah, I think initially I was probably surprised when I saw it come out, but then the more you, you thought about it, the more you listened to the commentary uh, or, or the comments from the, the coach and the owners and the and the GM, Sean Marks, I think it was pretty clear in the end that it probably just wasn't going to be able to work when you're talking you know, not being able to play in any home games and, and then you think about how long some of these home stands can be. It might be four games, five games, six games, seven games in a row to then, you know, have to miss big chunks and then, you know, come back in, you know, for one random away game and then they might be home again for two. It's just, um, you, you can just see how disruptive that, that was going to possibly become. Plus the fact that it's just going to con- continue to basically follow the team around if Kyrie's in out, you know, answering questions night in, night out about it. So I think it was probably in the end the the course of action that made the most sense. And I think unlike Ben Simmons, who has done a bit of a 180 and and bucked the trend there and, and gone back and fronted up, I, I just can't see Kyrie probably just doing that. I think, you know, he's a lot more stubborn and he's got a bit more form and history around the fact that he, he may not conform. So I've probably got... What did you confidence. make of his reasoning for not doing He didn't say that he's against vaccine, but he's just... He's basically said that he's doing it to have a to give a voice to those who don't have a voice. It's certainly a bizarre reasoning not to get vaccinated and throw away a a potential championship and b a, a shitload of money. Yeah, well, I think his biggest platform is playing, and and, and you know whatever message is then putting out, he's better off doing when, when he's in the spotlight and playing and, and using his basketball to to you know help promote that message. By stepping away, I don't think it necessarily helps anything. And as you said, if it's not an anti-vax position and it's more just, you know, supporting the, the the little man or the people that don't have a voice. I'm not quite sure he's, he's picked the right mark here. Yeah, but as I said, I think he's potentially less likely to, to conform to the norm just for the sake of it. I think he's, he's got more history around digging his heels in. Um, so, yeah, it'll be an interesting watch whether he does change his mind. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to be another wasted season in his career. And you just wonder, you know, how he does come back from that longer term uh, when he has missed so much basketball over the last three three or four seasons. Yeah, it certainly will be interesting. And I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think he's going to cave, but but who knows? I mean, I'm sure Durant and, and and Harden will be in his ear trying to get him, you know, on board. And more, certainly James Harden, who's never won a championship. And so I'm sure he'll be feeling the pressure throughout the season. So no, no doubt we'll discuss Brooklyn a lot throughout the season. We can delve a bit deeper into how they're going to look without him and once the season gets going. So as I said, we're going to jump into the West over and unders, and we'll start off with the Dallas Mavericks. Last year they were 42-30, and 30, which was good for fifth in the East. They lost in an epic first-round series uh, to the Clippers in seven games. In the off-season, they their big move, I suppose, was, well, not suppose, it definitely was, was changing their head coach. Jason Kidd comes in to replace Rick Carlo, one of the most respected coaches in the NBA. Kidd, a bit of a checkered history, it's fair to say, as a head coach. Um, they also brought in uh, Bullock and Frank Nilekina, and out went Josh Richardson and James Johnson. So the biggest question mark this year and what has also been for the last couple of years, Caddy, is do the Dallas Mavericks have enough around Luka? Uh, they're over and under his 48 and a half wins, which is obviously an uptick on last year. Can you see him hitting that mark? Oh, look, I think so. I think they're they're pretty much the same team, effectively, that they've they've brought back, re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr. to that extension, um, and, and Luka Doncic had signed his extension as well. So they're effectively the same team. Reggie Bullock, as you mentioned, um, probably the biggest key inclusion into what they're bringing back. So I think... You liked you his know, inclusion when they signed him, didn't you? 
Ideally, I just think he gave them a bit more offensive scoring and three-point shooting um, to support Luca when things you know get a bit tight in the end of games or, or throughout the game. So I just liked it just from a point that he, he you know he's a he's a guy that can can make it rain when he has to. So yeah, I thought it was a, a good addition, basically taking that Josh Richardson spot effectively, who who didn't do a hell of a lot for them uh, last year. So. Look, I think they're a chance to cover this. I'll go the over. I think they're going to be another strong regular season. As long as Luka Doncic is upright, he's going to lead the team. He'll be an MVP you know, in that conversation, I'm sure, all the way through the season if he continues to trend in the way he has since he's come into the league. So I think you know, this is a team that has shown that they're capable of getting into the playoffs in a deep and, and competitive West. And I think, yeah, to get to 50 wins is 50 wins, 32 losses. I think that's certainly achievable. For this team, and that would get them uh, certainly over the, uh, over that uh, line for mine. Just a couple of question marks I have over them. The biggest one for me is that head that head coach change. So, as I said, Rick Carlisle, one of the most respected coaches in the NBA, fantastic record right throughout his career. And then you bring in Jason Kidd, who who hasn't had a great record. Record, if we're being brutally honest about what Kidd served up over his career as a head coach. So for me, that's got to be a, a bit of a question mark. He sort of made some sort of strange comments over the preseason. He sort of committed to playing Porzingis as a four. Now whether that that's his best position or not probably remains to be seen. I would have thought it's he's better as a five. He seems to be in a lot better condition than he was certainly last season anyway. He's been able to – he was relatively healthy over the preseason, which allowed him to obviously work on his body more so than just rehabbing, which he's had to do, unfortunately, over the last couple of preseasons. So maybe he can play the four, but that remains to be seen. He sort of made some interesting comments, I suppose you'd say, about Luka Doncic, and I think his comparison he made was Picasso had to use, learn how to use all his paints or, or words of that sort of – Variety basically saying that Luca probably needs to use his teammates a little bit more. So whether or not that comes to fruition, um, and Luca's got confidence enough in his teammates to be able to do that. And and the biggest thing so far is um, he seems to change the way that they're going about it offensively. So last year they they were one of the highest ranking three point attempts per game up at up at six in the league at thirty eight per game. Now there's been a real Real sort of focus on them attacking the rim more. So in their in their most recent preseason game, they only attempted three, uh, twenty sorry three pointers. So a huge sort of chop in the three point department, and they're going to attack the rim more. So is that going to make them more potent offensively or or not? Well, let's not forget they had uh, two seasons ago they had which was at that stage the best offensive rating in the history of the NBA. So they've got a lot of firepower, but. Is it going to sort of cut into that by attacking the rim more than shooting threes? That obviously remains to be seen. But for me, that's the biggest question mark. The Jason Kidd factor, can he step up and and make the most of this roster around Doncic? I've got a starting five. They'll roll out of Doncic, Bullock, Finney-Smith, Porzingis, and probably Dwight Powell in that uh, that rim-running uh, five role. And then you've got Hardaway, Brunson, Kleber, Coley Stein, Boban, Aussie Josh Green. Did you see the dunk he threw down during the week, Caddy? I did, yeah. Really exciting, and um, the, the bench certainly got up and enjoyed that as well. So, no, he, he found himself playing some decent minutes all the way through the preseason. So hopefully, he gets um, a bit of an opportunity at the start of the season, straight out of the gate. Yeah, that'd be nice. I was a bit surprised at how limited his opportunities was for the Boomers, but j- just because of this Jason Kidd fact, I'm going to go only slightly under 48, j- just because I'm I don't have any confidence. If if it was Rick Carlisle coming back, and they'd sort of you know, they had another year together. I've just got that big question mark about Jason Kidd. So only for that reason am I going to go on under on the Dallas Mavericks. 
Uh, we'll move on now to the Denver Nuggets. So last year they were 47 and 25, which was good for third in, in the West. Um, and they were swept in, in the in the semifinals by the, the Phoenix Suns, who obviously ended up making it all the way to the NBA Finals. In the offseason, they brought the only change they really made was they effectively brought in Jeff Green uh, and Paul Millsap left. So basically a straight swap for those two. But the biggest question mark, Caddy, is can they hold up for a whole season without Jamal, Jamal Murray? He, he got injured late in the season. They were able to do a pretty good job of that in the back half of the regular season, made it through that first round series against Portland and, and then were knocked out, in, uh, as I said, swept by the Phoenix Suns. So how do you see the Denver Nuggets, Caddy, leading into this season? Do you think they're going to struggle without Murray for the whole season? We don't really know when he's going to be due back or do you think they can hit that over 47 and a half wins? Yeah, I kind of have them in a similar position here to, to Dallas. I think um, really they're, they're built around their clear uh, MVP caliber or MVP winner, Nikola Jokic. And, you know, again, while while he's the centerpiece, they're going to be um, clearly over 500 team. And I think to cover this over at 47 and a half, which was effectively the same wins they had, or for that 47 wins in a 72-game season last year. So I don't think it's a big reach to for them to have to win one extra game out of those extra 10 to, to cover this line as well. So I think this is, yeah, a bit of an easy one for me, actually. I, I think initially when you, you think of Denver and you, you talk about the Jamal Murray injury, it's easy to discount it. But I think they've got a lot of depth on the roster uh, behind Jokic with Aaron, Aaron Gordon, Barton, hopefully back and fully fit. Fonte Morris, Jamal Green, Porter Jr. is the guy we're looking at to become you know, the second star now on this team. Um, and then, you know, still got Austin Rivers, Jeff Green and Compazzo. So I think there's enough depth uh, for them to be, a, a, again, a, a really strong regular season team. And, and that 47 and a half, I think, is relatively juicy. And I think they should be able to cover that pretty comfortably and be a 50-win team uh, potentially as well. Very bullish on the Denver Nuggets. Oh, I've got two questions. The, the two questions for me are Aaron Gordon. Can he step up and be more of an offensive threat? We, we were hoping that was going to be the case in the playoffs, once Murray was down, but he, he didn't perform in the playoffs, did he? So in in that in that uh, series against the Phoenix Suns, you look at his numbers: nine points a game, three point eight rebounds, and one point five assists. Shot forty one percent from the field. So they're going to need much more out of Aaron Gordon, and surely he's he's more than capable of averaging around the fourteen fifteen points. Because if he doesn't do that, I think they're going to struggle to to cover this line. And the second question mark I've got in them at the moment everybody's pumping up Michael Porter Jr. and he's going to take a leap. And I think he's even the favourite for the most improved player. But how big a leap are we talking? Can he become a 26, 27, 28 point per game scorer and basically a borderline all-star candidate? Or is he just sort of going to be a you know one of those guys who can put points on the board but doesn't really affect your team as far as winning goes? How big a leap do you see Porter Jr. taking this, uh, this season, Caddy? Well, I'm hoping it's a significant one because uh, the Grillers have invested – well, Pretty did. heavily in him um, with their third pick. And I think the preseason was a good start. I think he, he came out and, and showed that he was going to be prepared to you know, be an offensive force, particularly at that end. And, and with the Aaron Gordon piece, I think the ship might have sailed on him becoming you know, that 15-point scorer. I think he, he might just um, regress into that you know, 10 to 12-point range and, and focus more. If he on does, is he more. worth what they paid him in the offseason then? No, probably not. I don't. I don't think. I don't think so. I think you know the, the number that they paid effectively the twenty one, twenty million dollars a year for the next four years after this one. It's a, it's still a significant number for a guy that yeah, it, it may not even be your, your fourth or fifth highest scorer, which I, I think's realistically going to be the case here. I think behind Jokic and uh, Porter Jr., I think you know Will Barton potentially be their next highest scorer um, if he's out there fully fit. And Aaron Gordon, 
I think uh, with the games that we saw in the preseason, was again pretty willing to to pass up opportunities at the offensive end and, and be more of a defensive linchpin for them. And I think that's probably the way they're going to try and structure up. Anyway, providing as you mentioned that Porter Junior does take the jump that some are anticipating, and you know whether it is a, a, a scoring average in the high twenties or whether it's simply going to be you know something in the in the low twenties. I think providing he can get out and play the majority of the season, which is something he, he probably hasn't. Being able to do too often, you know, that's going to be clearly the biggest factor, and, and you know, just whether that confidence that he clearly has within himself can is, it does pay off because that extension he signed is is a mammoth one as well that kicks in at the start of next year. So he he's already got that contract. They've invested really really heavily in him um, without probably too much proof in the pudding um, with his time with the team so far, other than some flashes here and there. So you know, they clearly believe in him and and. Uh, we here at the Gorillas franchise really believe in him and, and hope it all pans out for, for both the Nuggets and us. Um, I hope it does for both of you as well. And and, and it probably and it really has to for the Nuggets because, as you mentioned, they've invested heavily in him. They've invested heavily in Jamal Murray. They're going to have to invest heavily in Jokic very shortly. And they've they've given a lot of money to Aaron Gordon in the offseason as well. So if I don't know how long they're going to be able to continue to pay four guys pretty significant money or whether they're going to look to move one of these guys at some stage to get out of that repeat attack. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I'm a little bit suspect on their on their depth. I know you said you like it, but outside their sort of starting five of Morris, Barton, Porter Jr., Gordon and Jokic, you're then rel- relying upon Compazzo, Dozier, Rivers, Jeff Green. Now, I guess they're solid sort of capable backups, but an injury to either Porter Jr. or Jokic, you know, Captain Obvious would spell, uh, would spell disaster. So hopefully they can get Murray back in the back end of the season and, and sort of get going and make a good run at the playoffs. They're probably going to be a better playoff team if that's the case. I'll go just over at the 48 wins um, and, and cross cross my fingers that they get some pretty good health out of there, out of particularly Porter Jr. and, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, we'll move on now to the Golden State Warriors. Last year they were 39-33, and 33, which was good for eighth in the West. They were knocked out. Uh, surprisingly so, in the playing tournament uh, by the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, in the offseason, they had quite a little bit uh, quite a bit of turnover. They brought in Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica, Andre Iguodala comes back. Um, Avery Bradley, I've got marked down, but he actually got cut today, which was a little bit of a surprise. And then they had their two first-round picks, uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Uh, they lost Kent Bazemore, who went to the Lakers, Kelly Oubre Jr. and Eric Pascal. And over and under of 47.5 wins, the same as the Denver Nuggets, there's been a lot of uh, optimism around this Golden State Warriors team, Caddy. Do you share that optimism, or or is this just the factor of everybody's thinking Clay's going to come back at some stage and he's going to basically go back to the player that he was? Yeah, I think you know there's certainly the expectation around Clay Thompson returning and, and all things being back to how they used to be with um you know that backcourt of Clay and, and Steph Curry with Draymond Green sort of creating havoc. How realistic is it. that though for 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 Thompson to come back and? He hasn't played effectively for two seasons and be able to come back. I'm sure his shooting will never go away, but, you know, he's a very good defender. You know, is he still going to have that capabilities? Oh, look, I think he's probably lucky in the sense that he's, he's a guy that doesn't have to have the ball in his hand for very long at all. I think there was uh, one of those championship years, there was some stats around how limited, um, how many limited dribbles he even took to, to get up um, some big numbers in some games. So from that point of view, if you sort of, become just a, a spot-up shooter, you know, which we know he was more than that uh, when he was playing uh, before the injury. But, he, you know, if, if worst case it is that he's just out there basically shooting threes and he's still going to be a solid player. But I think for them, if they want to 
really push up into this Western Conference and be basically a 50-win team, that they do need him to come back to almost where he was. And I think that's probably a little bit realistic in this season. Um, we know he's not going to start the season and, and when he comes back, whether it be December or you know Christmas or into the new year, you know that's still a lot of a lot of pressure that's going to be on Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins to a, to a lesser extent. But um, yeah, I, I'd probably be a bit more less optimistic around this line uh, for this team. I think we're still relying on Steph Curry to you know to basically play out of his ass every night and you know score forty points a game and, and really drive this team because I think, you know, there's still a lot of question marks around, you know, how serviceable a guy like James Wiseman's going to be. Kaminga, I think,'s already had injury concerns. Um, you know, what's is he going to be able to impact them? You know, Kevon Looney's there, probably their starting centre. And I you know, I don't think that's, you know, tremendous for them. Andre Gladella comes back, but another year older. I think Otto Porter was a, a sneaky good, you know, pick up, you know, from a depth point of view and the same with Bayelita. So but, you know, I think it's still all around Steph Curry and, you know, I think teams have slowly found ways to be able to, you know, stop him at different times if there isn't that support around him. And I think early in the season when that support potentially isn't there, um, you know, I think that's where that line might suffer a little bit if they get out of the gates a little bit slowly. So I'll take the under on this one just. Um, I think they'll be over 500, but under the line of 47, I'll take, I'll take the 47 wins and say under. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. It's For me, there's quite a few question marks, and Clay Thompson's obviously the biggest one. When's he due back? Probably after Christmas is what they're saying at this stage. And what can we expect? I agree that, you know, because he doesn't dribble the ball much and he just has to run around off some screens and shoot some threes, I've got I've got no dramas there. He's going to be able to do that. But as I, as I mentioned earlier, he's... One of his biggest assets is the fact that he was a really, really good defender. He could take the opposition's best backcourt player and, and lock down on them. Now, coming off a, an Achilles and, and a knee, is he going to be able to do that? It would be highly unlikely that he will be able to replicate that. So, so that's going to be a question mark for me. That's when Golden State were at their best, when obviously Thompson and Curry are knocking down threes, but obviously, but also when um, Clay can d- defend to a really high level as well. Wiseman, the number two pick, you brought him up before. What can they get out of him? They were a much better team when he went down with that injury and they stopped playing him and, and Draymond Green played played a lot more at the five. Steve Kerr has intimated that that's going to be the case this year. Draymond Green's going to play more at the five. So where does that leave, leave Wiseman? Is he going to be on the outside looking in? Will he be able to handle that as, as a number two pick? And uh, Steph Curry, like, he, he was incredible last year, right, rightfully in, in the MVP discussion, led the league in scoring at 32 points a game. But he's 33, turning 34, got an injury history. If you just look back at his last four years, uh, four years ago, 51 games, then 69 games, only five games, and then 63 games. So he's he generally generally misses somewhere between 10 to 20 games a year. When Steph's not out on the floor, they're going to be horrendous. So that, that's got to be the biggest question mark for me, and their ability to cover the line is when Steph's not on the floor and if he gets one of these injuries where he misses 10, 15 games, they're going to really struggle. Um, they're going to be relying upon some guys coming off the bench that haven't done a lot over the last couple of seasons. You mentioned, and I agree that Porter Jr. is is a, is a sneaky good signing, but he basically has been a no-show for the last two seasons. Andre Iguodala is getting, he's probably about 37, 30 years, 38 years old now. Wasn't all that useful for Miami last year. Uh, Nemanja Bialica couldn't get on the court for Miami in the playoffs. So they're going to be relying upon some guys that just haven't... Yes, they've got some you know previous years where, they, where they've been able to play some good basketball, but the, the last couple of years have been pretty dry for some of these guys. So that's my biggest question mark on them, and that's why I'm going to hit the under at 
similar to you. Did you say forty-seven wins as well? Yeah, I did. I just took just took the under slightly. Yeah, I'm the same because I mean, if Steph somehow can stay healthy, you know, they're going to be very good. But uh, I'll, I'll hit just the under as well with the forty-seven wins. Uh, now moving on to a team, uh, the Houston Rockets. Uh, last year they were seventeen and fifty-five, which was good for last place in the West. Um, in the off season, you know, they've obviously just invested heavily in the draft. They got the number two pick, Jalen Green, who's looked fantastic uh, in the preseason so far. Uh, the number sixteen pick, Alperun uh, Shingun. Uh, the number twenty three pick, Usman Garuba. Um, and really, they had two outs. Uh, Daniel, oh, they brought in Daniel Tice as well. Sorry uh, to play some centre for them. And really, their only loss of note was was Kelly Olynyk. So, what do you think about the Houston Rockets, Caddy? They finished last in the West uh, last year. Do you just see them uh, going through another rebuilding year this year? Twenty five and a half wins is that over under? Yeah, I don't think much of them at all. I think that that line is really generous. Um, I think this is probably one of the easiest selections that we'll have tonight. I, I think they'll be well under that. I think this could be another 17-win season, albeit with an extra 10 matches. This is clearly the worst team in the East for mine. Uh, sorry, in the West for mine, and they're, they're built to lose. Um, that's notwithstanding. I think we're going to have a really fun time watching Jalen Green. It's going to be terrific to watch. He, he'll get as many opportunities as, as he's going to want uh, with the ball in his hand. And that'll be fun from a night-to-night proposition. But outside of that, you know, Christian Woods showed last year that he's a capable double-double guy, almost a 20-20 guy on, on any given night. But really, outside of that, like Kevin Porter, they brought in from Cleveland last year. He'll get opportunities. He put up some big numbers. Deshaun Tate, you know, the former NBL player, I think, you know, as a you know a minimum contract sort of guy, he's a bit of a steal for them. I think he'll he'll continue to improve. But really, this is this is a, a, an ordinary built team built to lose, and I expect them to do plenty of that during the season. Yeah, I totally agree. 25 and a half wins does seem, it sounds stupid to say 25 and a half wins is high, but it does does seem pretty high given that they're just clearly in a developmental phase. You know, Jalen Green, number two pick, Kevin Porter Jr. You said there, now he scored 50 points late in the season last year, so they're going to continue to put the ball in his hands. Uh, Christian Wood, you mentioned a double-double machine. All these guys are really young. Shengun the number 16 pick. He's basically an old-fashioned style centre, even though he's only 6'9". He's more of a back-to-the-basket uh, style player, and he's looked actually pretty good in the preseason, and I'm sure he's going to have a, a very good NBA career, but he's going to have to take his lumps in his first season. Uh, Garuba, who who played for the Spain national team, now he's a very good athlete and defends very well, but his offensive game needs certainly needs a lot of improvement to get up to the NBA level. So, yeah, I totally agree. This is clearly a team in, in rebuild, um, and, and for me, 25 and a half wins seems well over. So I'm going to say they're going to hit around the 22 wins. What what, what did you say? Did you say 17 wins? Is that what <laughs> I think they might just repeat the 17 wins from, from last year. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty hard. But, um, yeah, I don't think this is a, a very good team at all. And I think they'll lose on, uh, you know, very, very regularly. And, um, you know, and that's clearly what they're set out to be trying to do. I mean, this disappointing factor that we've seen today with Houston was the the waving of Dante yes. Exum after that bit of un- that unusual three year deal that he had signed that had you know a lot of non guaranteed money and bonuses that needed to be hit. But yeah, for them to sort of cut ties with him, you know, before the start of the season is really disappointing. And yeah, now you sort of have to wonder where he'll get his opportunity if he can't you know get a get a uh, game with these guys. So yeah, it's really crossroad time now for Dante Exum and how in the hell he's going to be able to link him to another team when he wasn't able to stick here in Houston. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was surprised that, that he was cut. The three, I know there were some guarantees on that, but I'm 
bit confused as to why you'd sign a guy to three years with all these guarantees and then cut him before the season even starts. I mean, what do you got to lose by having a look at him? Um, so yeah, I agree. I mean, if he's if he can't get a, a go with the Houston Rockets, he's probably his NBA days might be over. So it'd be interesting to see if he comes back to the NBL or he goes over and plays in Europe. So yeah, good luck to him. I thought we we both really liked the way he went about it in, in the Olympics. So hopefully he does get another crack at the NBA. So we'll move on now to the LA Clippers. They were forty-seven and twenty-five, which was good for fourth in the West. Uh, they lost in the Western Conference Finals to Phoenix uh, without Kawhi Leonard for that for that entire series. So a very good effort to be able to push the Phoenix Suns to six games without Kawhi. Uh, in the offseason, they brought in Eric Bledsoe in a basically a direct direct swap for Pat Beverly. Uh, Justice Winslow also came in. They were able to re-sign both Reggie Jackson and Nick Batum um, when when most people thought they were probably going to struggle to to re-sign those guys. Uh, out was basically just Pat Beverly, as I've already mentioned, uh, and Rajon Rondo. They've got an over over and under of 45 and a half wins. Do you think, Caddy, they're going to be able to hit that mark, obviously given that it looks like Kawhi Leonard's probably a, a chance to miss the whole season? Yeah, they've, they've made this a little bit appetising, this 40, was it 45 and a half? I mean, you know, without Kawhi Leonard, you know, clearly going to be difficult, but you know, I just wonder if Paul George is going to turn the clock back a little bit here and, and come out really firing. And, and Ross Geller of the there. NBA. Yeah, well, that's, that's what you'd like to refer to him to. But, you know, what what he did when he first got to OKC and he had, you know, really fired up there and, and showed he was capable of, you know, being a, a low to mid-30 point-a-night scorer, I think, you know, that, that's got the capabilities of what he, he could be able to do. Eric Bledsoe, again, you know, clearly people have, have their knocks on him, but generally more from a, you know, playoff point of view of, of what he can't do on, on that bigger stage. But from a regular season, night in, night out type of, type of player, he, he can certainly prove some value. Marcus Morris is a guy I'll be watching closely as to whether he can sort of really step up into into that role that's been left there without Kawhi Leonard. So, oh, this is a really hard one. I, I, you know, it, it seems more obvious to go under, but I, I might just get on the back of a guy like Paul George, who I... Haven't been a huge fan of, and I, I generally you weren't a fan of all of him last year. I tried to stick up for him, and you you weren't having a bar of it. <laughs> no, and um, you know, I, I just maybe now's now's the time to prove me wrong and, and come out and lead a team, be the number one guy. And you know, I don't think they're going to be fifty wins, but to get to forty five, which isn't a huge amount, I well, to get to forty six, I think it, it, that is still possible, and I will take this very very slight over on that one. Interesting. I, I'm going to – for me, this, there's just too many question marks. So you look at their starting five, Reggie Jackson, fantastic in the playoffs. Is he going to be able to reproduce that? Basically throughout his career, he hasn't he hadn't been able to produce at that level and he came out and shot the lights out and was one of the best offensive players right throughout the playoffs. So question mark for me, can he reproduce that? Eric Bledsoe, who, who they got in the trade uh, for Pat Beverly, has been – you said he's he's okay during the regular season. Basically, the Pelicans wanted to get rid of him. I don't I don't know how much value Bledsoe has left in the NBA. So another question mark there. Paul George, yeah, I I said last year I'm a big fan of him, so I don't have a huge question mark about him. Nicholas Batum had basically been a a walking corpse until last year. So can he reproduce that that decent season he had last year? That's got to be a question. Then you then you look at the bench. Luke Kennard, who they bought in on a big deal last year. Certainly didn't produce at the level they would have hoped. He was he was a you know did not play coach's decision 
during the season and then again in the playoffs. They're going to need something out of Canard now that uh, Kawhi Leonard is out for the whole season. So can Canard give them something that he wasn't able to do last year? Serge Barker basically didn't play the second half of the year last year. Again, they're going to need something out of him. Justice Winslow has basically had no impact whatsoever since he had a decent one season, really, with Miami and, and play well throughout a playoff run for them. So there's just question marks over Jackson, Bledsoe, Batum, Canard, Abaka, Winslow. There's just too many question marks for me on this team for me to say over. I'm only going to hit the slide under pretty much in respect to Paul George because I agree. I think he's going to have a going to have a massive year, Paul George, and step up and prove that he's a top, you know, 15, somewhere between 15 to 12 player in the NBA. So I'm going to hit just under at the 44 wins just because I think there's far too many question marks about what some of these guys that they're going to have to rely on can produce. Now we'll move on to the other LA team and probably the team with the biggest question marks on them throughout the whole NBA, in my opinion anyway, uh, the LA Lakers. So they were 42-30 and 30 last year, which was good for seventh in the West. They lost in the first round 2-4 to, uh, to the Phoenix Suns. They've had a massive overhaul of their whole roster. So in the offseason, they brought in Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore, Rajon Rondo, DeAndre Jordan, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Reza, Wayne Ellington, and Carmelo Anthony. Uh, they did lose Cole Kuzma, Montrose Harrell, Contavious uh, Colwell Pope, uh, Andre Drummond, Marcus Gasol, Dennis Schroeder, and Wes Matthews. So they've had a complete overhaul of their roster, Caddy. There's only three holdovers from last year, which are LeBron AD, uh, and Taylor Horton Tucker. They're over and under of 52.5 wins. They're 0-6 in the preseason. I don't know if that means anything, but what the hell can you make of the Lakers, Caddy? Well, I don't think it, it's very hard to make anything of them at the moment. It's going to be a, a fascinating watch, as you mentioned, the 0-6 in the preseason. Um, clearly not a, a great start, but I, I don't think we need to read too much into that. Albeit, I think it, you know I'd be surprised if they do start quite slowly you know they've got a lot of players here to integrate into whatever system they're going to try and play here and, and big question marks around you know how the big three of Davis James and Westbrook is going to work I mean even looking at the salaries for this year it's, it's staggering to think that Russell Westbrook is their highest paid player ahead of LeBron James and ahead of Anthony Davis so he's coming in he's got the big money the big contract and I just you know we know how competitive and how athletic he is and you know, he's been a terrific regular season player all through his career. So, that, you know, that, that's the upside in terms of, you know, on a night-to-night basis when there could be times when LeBron James may have to rest or, um, you know, clearly Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo and DeAndre Jordan, they're not going to be able to play night in, night out, these guys. So that's where a guy like Westbrook has shown he, he can uh, come to the plate there and, and take a bit of an extra load. I think Anthony Davis is the, is the big one for me. Like, if he can get back to that MVP type of calibre season, then that changes everything for the Lakers. And I think that really should be what the expectation should be around Davis. I think he's been able to kind of have a bit of a, a free ride in the sense um, of, of being really the second banana to LeBron, particularly in that uh, championship run, um, as important as Davis was. He still um, was slightly in the shadow of LeBron, but I think it, it is time now for him to take the mantle of the number one guy in town here. And if he can get back to the level that we, you know, he we know he's capable of of being um, basically the top three or four best players in the, in the league. Um, and that's going to certainly help them. I, I think there's, yeah, there's too many risks here around rest and injury, and you know, being able to work together with this roster uh, for me to hit that pretty big number of fifty two and a half. So I'll take under here, um, and 
not to discredit the Lakers, I think they'll be a playoff team, but I just don't think um, necessarily it's going to happen straight away and, and throughout uh, the majority of the regular season. Yeah, I totally agree. I I just see them getting off to a slow start now. The 06 preseason form, you can throw that out the window. They've hardly had the, the big three play together, and, and I'm sure you know these guys have played so much basketball. Probably don't get all that motivated, Caddy, for a, for a preseason game. But we've seen in the pla- in the past, you know, when LeBron had Wade in that first season, I think they were about seven and eight at at one stage. If my if my memory serves me correctly, so now that he's going to play with another guy who likes to handle the ball as much as Wade did back then. Uh, with Russell Westbrook. So I'd imagine there's going to be some sort of feeling out process between those two guys. Russ has also started slow. He started slow last year when he teamed up with Bill. So there's a bit of a history there to suggest that that uh, these two might take a bit to sort of feel each other out and, and work out the, how to best uh, play together. And just given the fact that they're relying upon so many older guys, you know, you're looking at, you know, Mallow and Howard and, and Allington, who hasn't really produced for the last couple of years for a decent team, Rondo, um, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza. These guys are, are really long in the tooth. And as you said there, there's certainly going to be games where they need to be rested or they're going to be injured. In fact, there's already, you know, both Trevor Reza and Taylor Norton Tucker are probably going to miss a first somewhere between five to eight weeks of the season. So their depth's already going to be tested. When you look at their starting lineup, it's probably going to start off with Westbrook, Bazemore, LeBron, AD, and DeAndre Jordan. Now, Jordan couldn't even get on the floor towards the end of the season for the Brooklyn Nets, but he's probably going to start for the Lakers. So I think that just sort of illustrates where they're at. There has been some some mention about the fact that AD is going to play a lot more at the five. Now that's clearly their best lineup, but he said in the past, and I can't imagine they're going to sort of run him into the ground given his injury history and the fact that you mentioned there that he's probably now almost their, their most important player and certainly can push up and be an MVP candidate. So I, I just think with these old guys and, and a couple of injuries early on, I agree. I think you know come come playoffs, they're certainly going to be be a team to be reckoned with, but. You know, during the regular season, they're probably going to just sort of coast through. I, I can't imagine they're going to have their foot on the pedal, and, and why the hell would they? Their, their main sort of goal for this playoff is to get a uh, for this regular season. Sorry, is to get a decent enough seeding and make sure LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook are all healthy. So I'm going to hit uh, the under of the 52 and a half wins. I'm going to hit them at uh, 51 wins. So we'll move on now to the Memphis Grizzlies. Last year they were 38 and 34, which was good for ninth in the West. Uh, they lost in five to Utah in the first round. In the offseason, they brought in Stephen Adams, uh, Chris Dunn, who they actually cut today, uh, Jarrett Culver, and Zaya Williams with the 10th pick in the draft. Um, they lost Jonas Valanciunas, which, which is a big out given he was one of their most consistent players last year, probably just behind Ja Morant, was arguably their, their second best player throughout the season, uh, and Grayson Allen. So uh, the over and under caddy is 41 and a half wins. Uh, what do you make of the Memphis Grizzlies? I thought it was a bit of a strange season, uh, just a strange decision to trade Jonas and, and uh, basically swap him over for Stephen Adams. But what do you make of the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, look, I like to start with. I like this line. I think forty-one and a half for a team that was, you know, in the end, a fair way over five hundred last season at thirty-eight and thirty-four. I think um, with more natural progression um, and improvement out of Ja Morant in particular, I think the Valanciunas out for Adams, you know, was an interesting one. I think we'd probably agree Valanciunas is, is is the more complete player, particularly at the offensive end. Um, but I think it does open up more opportunities for Jaron Jackson Jr. to come in and really start making his presence felt if he is, you know, fit and healthy this season because 
when you know we we go back to his rookie season where he really came out and showed what he was capable of, and I think it'd be great for him to get back to that type of level and maybe with the Valentina sort of moving on and, and Adams, you know, he'll clearly start for them, but probably play more limited minutes than we probably expect from Valentina. So I think there's going to be more opportunity there for Jaron Jackson to grow. Um, I really like the game. What do you make, sorry, of, sorry, what do you make of Jaron Jackson Jr.? Do, he, he's getting some huge buzz in that uh, GM survey recently. I think he was sort of mentioned as the breakout player or the they were very high on him. I can't remember the exact wording of that question, but is 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 he overrated? He, he's played three seasons, fifty eight games, fifty seven games, and eleven games. So he's clearly struggling to stay on the court. He's he's been touted as a sort of a a stretch four and somebody you know who can stretch the defense and potentially pr- protect the uh, the rim as well. If you look at his three seasons, he shot thirty six percent from three, thirty nine percent from three. That's very good, and twenty eight percent now. Obviously, a very shortened season last year, given he never had any continuity, but. 36% is just above league average. Now, 39% is very good at six and a half attempts a game. That is great. But he's really only done that one season out of the three. And call me old-fashioned, Caddy, but I'd like my power forward to be able to average more than 4.7 rebounds for his career. So I just think that everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid of Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm not saying he's not going to be a very good player, but he's certainly been pumped up given for given what his output has been throughout his career so far. Yeah, look, I think last year, clearly, you, you just got to put a line through the year. Only played the 11 games right at the back end, basically, the 23 minutes a night only. So, you know, still able to score 14 points a game. But I, I think that, you know, that rookie season was really strong, 13.8 points. And then the next season, again, in, in 28 minutes a night, he was getting 17 points. So I think if you can get back to at least to that level, um, I, I'd take your point on the rebounding numbers. But again, with Stephen Adams there and, and Valentinus in the park, park, it probably hasn't been... A huge requirement for him to, to crash those boards as much as you know he, he may have needed to. So you know, look, I mean, I, I think he they're relying on him to improve. They they're relying on him to become a you know the number two play here. Um, and and if they do, and if he does, you know, get on the court regularly, um, I, I think they're they're definitely a, a, a chance to well more than a chance to get over that forty one and a half and be a five hundred team again and a playoff team. I think you know this is a young team that. Has been built the right way uh, with a star in Jar Morant that's going to continue to get better, we think, and hopefully Jaron Jackson follows suit behind it. So I, I think you know I'm quite strong on the fact that this is a team being you know being moulded and, and developed the right way, and I think they they should have natural improvement progression on the back of last season, and, and I, I think they'll be a playoff team again. I agree. I'm going to hit the over as well, uh, but basically it's the Jar Morant factor for me. I think he, he's he's a star. He's going to make his first all-star team and, and going to be a very, very good player and prove, you know, how, how good he is. We were sort of talking uh, at the start of last year about him and, and Zion being on an even footing almost, but uh, Zion's probably gone ahead of him now. But I certainly think Jar Morant's in for a big season. He's got some question marks about being able to stay on, on the court as well, but I love the way he goes about it. Just an excitement machine, super athlete, and, you know, once his shooting comes along, he's going to be a very, very dangerous player. Now, I'm not saying Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be a very good player. I think he is going to be a very good player. I'm just questioning about whether this sort of this upside that everybody's talking about is basically being spoken about as a future all-star. That That's really the only question mark for me on him. I think he can be a very valuable contributor for them this year and, and in the future as well. And when you just look at some of their other their young guys with Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, I just think there's some really good, nice upside there. So you'd expect all those guys, along with Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., to take a another step forward. And as you said, last year, they were 38 and 34. Now, Valentunas did have a 
a big role in that. But but I'm hoping that Stephen Adams can come in, play a different role than Valentunas did. He's obviously more of a defensive player than than Valentunas is. So hopefully he can shore him up on that end. Um, and, and Morant and, and obviously having Jaron Jackson on the on the floor more than he was last year can sort of make up for losing what Valanciunas gave him last year. So I agree. I'm going to hit the over at around about the 43 mark win for the Memphis Grizzlies. Now we'll move on now, Caddy, to the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves. They were 23-49 and 49 last year, which was good for 13th in the West. Um, they do get a full season of their coach, Chris Finch, who only came in sort of just over the halfway mark when they fired Ryan Saunders. In the offseason, they brought in Pat Beverly um, and they lost Ricky Rubio. So basically a, sw- a straight swap over of the backup point guard position there. Um, and they've basically kept the rest of the list intact there. So what do you make of the of the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, sorry, the Minnesota Timberwolves caddy this year? The over and under is 35 and a half wins, which I think is a tantalising number. Yeah, look, this is just a, a team that's, or a franchise that's been stuck in mediocrity for so long. And you just wonder whether finally it might start shifting in a positive direction for them potentially. But it's, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is clearly the, the big man on campus here and, and needs to really step up and, and become an all-star player because the, the, the talent is clearly there and the numbers are, are there generally from a night to night. But he needs to start affecting winning, which we haven't been able to see uh, before. And, you know, this the much hype pairing there with D'Angelo Russell um, when, when that trade was made. It, it just wasn't able to come to fruition last year for a, a host of reasons, um, and particularly a, a lack of continuity in, in this group. So um, Anthony Edwards, you know, the rookie, the rookie from last year who, you know, basically had a green light to do whatever he liked. Um, I think he needs to sort of probably come back in and, and play a more you know, team-focused game in behind Carl Anthony Towns. And, you know, but if he can continue to be a, a, an elite scorer, it's certainly going to help uh, this group. Uh, Malik Beasley is a guy that proved when he played, he's obviously had some off-court problems, but um, he showed that he, he's more than capable of, of helping this team as well. So, you mentioned it was a tantalising number, uh, the 35 and a half. I, I think they might slightly get over that, and, and I, I can't see them being a, a playoff team uh, in this, you know, pr- pretty strong and deep Western Conference. But you know, they they could potentially, you know, get to that point of knocking on the door of that play-in tournament, which, which would probably be a realistic goal for them going into the season. But it'd have to be a, a big improvement on the 23 and 49 last year to hit 35 uh, or 36 wins. But I think. They are capable of doing it, but you know this this is their last chance to really get this right with Carl Anthony Towns because I think if it's another really poor year, then you know he'll be the next big star on the on the trade block. I would have thought. Oh, he certainly will be, and I said it's a tantalising number because I reckon they've nailed this line. It's that is well done, Vegas and Sportsbet. I thirty five and a half wins is that is right on the money. I'm going to go slide over at thirty six. Um, I really like their starting five. I think their starting five of, of D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards. Um, Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, and Carl Anthony Towns. Now they're going to be able to put some points on the board with that starting five there. It's really the the, the biggest question mark is their depth coming off the bench. So Pat Beverly, Josh Okoge, Jared Vanderbilt, Naz Reed, Jalen Knoll. So they're going to need you know Okoge or Vanderbilt or Reed or or Knoll to take it to take a step forward. We know we know what we'll get out of Pat Beverly. He's going to hand the shit out of the opposition point guard and, and you know, shoot some threes. But they certainly need somebody out of those four I mentioned to be able to step up. And I think the biggest thing for me, and the reason I'm going to hit the over on this, is Carl Anthony Towns, I'm predicting to have a massive season. I think he's going to get back to sort of showing what he had three or four seasons ago when, when the GMs voted him the, the team they would most like to start their franchise with 
uh, two years in a row they voted him uh, to that honour. So he's had a horrendous year last year with COVID and the fact that his mum died. And, and, you know, he obviously wasn't 100% focused on, you know, understandably so, on the NBA season. But, you know, word is that, that he's super fit. So if he can get back to being that, He's certainly a top 10 talent and potentially even a top five talent if you look at what he can do on the floor. If he can play at that level, Anthony Edwards can take another step forward. I totally agree with what you said. He needs to rein in his shot attempts a little bit and hopefully now with Russell on the court and Carl anthony Towns out there a little bit more, you know, he, he'll, buy, he'll buy in a little bit more to that team concept. If they can get a full season out of D'Angelo Russell, even though he's probably a fraction a fraction overrated, he's still, you know, a, a very good NBA player. Uh, Beasley can certainly put some points on the board. So I, I like the mix that they've got, particularly around Anthony and that uh, Cal Anthony Towns and that starting five. Um, as I said, I, I just questioned their depth. But I think the starting five is good enough for them to get over the 35-and-a-half wins. Fractionally, uh, with the 36 wins, it was, and you settled on 36 wins as well, did you? Yeah, I think just just over. and um, It's really only, especially, if, as you mentioned, Cal Anthony Towns comes out and, and fires up and, and even D'Angelo Russell can finally... You know, make some waves as a as a elite um, duo there in Minnesota. Moving on now to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, last year they were thirty one and forty one, which was good for eleventh in the East. Uh, in the off season, they had a coaching change. They brought in Willie Green for Stan Van Gundy, who only lasted one season. Uh, they brought in Devontae Graham and Thomas Sadoransky and Jonas Valanciunas, uh, and also Garrett Temple. Uh, out went Stephen Adams, Lonzo Ball, and Eric Bledsoe. So. You know, a confusing offseason. We spoke about this briefly at the end of last year with, with you know, letting Lonzo Ball walk out, and uh, which was ve- very confusing for me and bringing in Devontae Graham instead. And, of course, the big news now is that uh, Zion Williamson will be missing the start of the season. There's no timetable for his return. I think they said he's going to be re-evaluated again in two weeks. Uh, Caddy, have you seen any of the photos of Lonzo? There was a split screen of his rookie photo um, and the photo that he took at uh, at uh, the training camp this year, and he looks at least twenty pounds heavier than he was in his in his rookie days, which is is obviously never good with somebody that plays uh, with the ferocity that Zion does. So the fact that he's going to miss the start of the season, potentially even the first two to four weeks, um, huge question marks for me on the Pelicans. That over and under is thirty eight and a half wins. What do you make of the Pelicans, Caddy? Yeah, I think that that line's too high. I, I, I didn't like what I saw. At- saw out of them in the preseason really at all. I know Brendan Ingram was missing a lot of those games and, and Zion clearly wasn't playing either. But I think really if Zion's not there and, you know, we, we do expect Brendan Ingram, you know, to be, you know, the the main player there and, and score, you know, the bulk of you know, the bulk of the points almost be a, a mid to high twenty point a game scorer. But I, I just don't like much of what's in behind it. Devontae Graham, you know, has come across from Charlotte. He's a useful player, but he's gonna you know, have to play a pretty significant role offensively for them. Uh, Valanciunas, as we, we mentioned when we chatted about Memphis, is you know he's been a terrific professional all the way through his career, and, and I think you know he'll give them you know what he, you know effectively what he's got. Um, Santoransky's another guy that came back from Chicago and, and play a backup point guard role. They really need some improvement or a big uptick out of Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, he's a guy that they'll you know probably try and put a lot of minutes into this year and see what they've got in, in him. But, yeah, look, I, I don't really like this team and, and roster at all, to be fair, and particularly without Zion Williamson. I think this is a massive, uh, massive under uh, on, on the line that they've given us on this one. I think they'll, they'll miss it by a, a fair stretch and be one of the worst teams in the West. 
one of the worst teams in the West. Geez, that'd be disastrous for the Pelicans. So I, I agree. I'm hitting the under as well. There's just I, I think they're just still developing. I think that I don't know if they're trying to fast track this thing and maybe going down the same path they did with Anthony Davis by by, bring, by bringing in you know a Valanciunas and a Sadoransky and I guess Graham's not too old. But I, when you look at their team, they've still got guys. These guys are either 24 or under. It's Zion, Brandon Ingram. In, Incredibly, still only 24 years old, even though he seems like he's been around for about 10 years. Jackson Hayes, uh, Kira Lewis Jr. and Nikel Alexander-Walker are all 24 years old and under. So these guys are still getting better and are still going to be better in years to come. So I, I just think they've still got a lot of room for improvement. I do like the fact that they bought in Valentinus, as you know we mentioned in the in the Memphis section there. He had a really good year last year, and I'm sure he's going to be very valuable for the for the Pelicans this year. But I, I just didn't like the fact that they basically let Lonzo Ball walk out the door and bought in Devontae Graham instead. That, that didn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. I thought Lonzo and Zion had a really good connection going. They obviously liked it. Ball was good at throwing alley-oops to Zion. So, so it seems strange uh, to me to do that. And, and coupled with the fact that Zion is now going to miss at least the first two, maybe even four weeks, I, I can't imagine that they're going to be all that potent offensively without Zion out on the floor. And then when he comes back, given the way he played last year, he handled the ball a lot. So there's going to be a little bit of, a, of a, an adjustment-type period. So it could be into the fifth or sixth week until they hit their sort of stride. Uh, and given that's a fact, I'm going to hit the under of the 38 and a half wins around about that 37 win mark, and and which would be disastrous for the for the Pelicans. But unfortunately, they just can't uh, seem to take a trick with Zion's health uh, at the moment. We'll move on now to the OKC Thunder. Now, last year they had 22 wins and 50 losses, which was good for 14th in the West. In the off season, they brought in Derek Favors, uh, and their big move was bringing in the the Aussie caddy. Jo- uh, Josh Giddy with the sixth pick in the NBA draft, which is a little bit of a surprise uh, at the time that they went down that path, taking Giddy with the sixth pick. Uh, out went Al Horford and Moses Brown. Um, they've actually got the second lowest over-under in the entire NBA at 22.5 wins. Do you see him getting anywhere near that mark, Caddy? Oh, probably not. I, I, the one I was looking at had him at 23.5, and I thought maybe – 23 wins, but 22 and a half. It is a low number, but this team, just similar to the Houston Rockets, are, are built for losing. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Shane Gilgis Alexander, um, you know, the, the star on this team. Uh, at such a young age, a lot left on his shoulders. And, and as you mentioned, Josh Gideon, the number six pick. You know, I really liked in the limited time he, he played through the preseason. You know, he did look really, really good. He's, he's looked good, hasn't he? He's, to, yeah, to be honest, he surprised me. He's, you know, he's obviously a, a very nice size, but he's, his shooting seems to have come along a little bit. And he's obviously an elite, oh, not quite an elite, but a very good passer. Yeah, he just he's, he seems to have picked the tempo up of the game, albeit in the preseason uh, level, you know, really, really quickly. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be really uh, excited about what they've seen from him. Yeah, this is a, a really light-on team. Uh, Lou Dort is a guy I think who improved as the season went on last year, and I, you know I think they'll have high hopes for, for him as well uh, to improve. But yeah, this this is a disastrous roster um, in terms of trying to win games in the NBA. So I, even at twenty-two and a half, I think this will be an under as well. Um, but that's exactly how they want it to be, and and they'll continue to stockpile um, this most incredible treasure chest of uh, draft. Kicks that they've already um, started accumulating over the last few years. I'll just continue to add to that, and um, at some point they'll they'll draft 
you know, uh, an elite player that will take him hopefully to the next level, but uh, it won't be this, this season. Yeah, I agree. They're in a huge developmental phase, similar to the Houston Rockets, which we've already spoken about. So Josh Giddy, you spoke about him there, has looked very good in the preseason. Surprised me, if I'm being uh, completely honest. Uh, Pokachevsky, Theo Maladon, Ty Jerome, Lou Dort, you've already mentioned. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who had some all-star buzz last year. Uh, he was they actually nearly played at a 500 clip when, when uh, Gilgis-Alexander was on the floor. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. I think they got a little bit lucky in some close games and their their record got a little bit inflated um, by the fact that Gilgis-Alexander, uh, when, Gil, when Gilgis-Alexander was out there. But he played he played too well that they just told him that he had a sore foot and had to sit out the rest of the season. So I'm sure they won't do that again and he'd probably put his his good foot down, Caddy, and, and say, no, you're not doing that. But... As you mentioned, they own about a million first-round picks coming from from a multitude of teams. None of them, at this stage, project to be you know high lottery picks. So they certainly need another star to put around Shea Gildas Alexander. So for me, they're probably going to be the team tanking the most. You know, we've seen, we spoke about Houston. They've already got what they perceive to be a star in Jalen Green, and you know they've got Shengun and, and and Christian Wood and some other guys around them that they would consider to be very good players. Well, there's really only one guy on this team. Uh, Gilgis Alexander, which you know is going to be an all-star level player. I'm sure they've obviously got high hopes for for Josh Giddy, but they they certainly need to to snaffle another really high draft pick and and put another quality player around Gilgis Alexander if they're going to be a a very good team going forward. So I see them around about the 21 wins, which is obviously a very low mark, but but a huge developmental year for the OKC Thunder. We'll move on now to the Phoenix Suns. They were 51-21, and 21, which was good for second in the West. They lost in six games, of course, to the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. In the offseason, not a huge amount of turnover. They brought in Alfred Payton and JaVale McGee, and out went uh, Torrey, Torrey Craig and Etwan Moore. So they're over and a half wins. They're over and, over and under, sorry, is 51 and a half wins. Given they won 51 last year, this seems to be a pretty low um, number for me at first value, Caddy. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. It's pretty simple for me. It's just a mathematical equation. 51 last year, the line 51 here, an extra 10 games, basically the same team. Um, I think you know a, another year playing with Chris Paul. I, I think they won't have to rely on him maybe so much early on in this season, um, where you know last year they were obviously trying to get it all happening and, and happening quickly. But I think, yeah, Devin Booker coming out of the gates, DeAndre Ayton certainly has a lot to prove in terms of trying to lock up that extension that he, they haven't offered him at this at this stage. So I, I think they're going to be a, a really strong regular season team again uh, this season and, and cover that line pretty comfortably and, and you know, push into the mid, mid-50s, I think, for mine uh, with this Phoenix Suns uh, lineup. Yeah, I'm surprised about how low that that margin is. I mean, there's a, there's obviously some question marks about what happened last year. So, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton all played at least 67 out of the 52 games. So, none of those guys missed more than five games. So that that's four of your starting five players. So, an exceptionally lucky run with health, if you want to call it lucky. And Chris Paul, given his age, can he reproduce at the level he did last year? There was even some MVP buzz about Chris Paul. So another year older, can he produce at that level? And I guess the other the other thing, Caddy, is did they catch some teams napping? Like they didn't make the playoffs the previous year. So early on with teams taking taking them a little bit light and they got they got some wins early on on the board that, you know, probably won't be gifted to them this year. So th- that's that's the big they're probably the two biggest question marks that you have on the team. But for me, I, I can't see how they're gonna get 
they're not going to get over the 51 and a half wins. Uh, Devin Booker, you think, is going to be even better. He's still young in his career. He's he's had the experience of, of obviously playing in an, in an NBA Finals and and playing very well in an, in an NBA Finals. Then went and uh, performed for Team USA at the Olympics and produced there as well. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, you mentioned there, still hasn't signed that extension. So I think it's right up to the start of the season you're allowed to sign that. So hopefully something happens there for him. He's only going to get better as well. Mikael Bridges is only going to get better. Cam Johnson, who didn't seem to miss a shot in the playoffs, is only going to get better. So they've got enough upside from some of these young guys for me to think that, you know, th- th- there's no reason why they can't be a better team than they were last year. And as you said, given the continuity they've now had with Chris Paul, um, also they've got Jalen Smith, the number 10 pick, who basically didn't do a hell of a lot for them last year. Maybe he slides in and becomes that backup centre that they're looking for. So for me, I agree. I think this is a... A comfortable-ish over at the 53 uh, wins for me. Um, uh, they're over and under at 51.5. So we'll move on now to the Portland Trailblazers. Last year they were 42-30, and 30, which was good for sixth in the West. They lost in six games in the first round to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, in the offseason, Chauncey Billis come, came in and replaced Terry Stotts, who had been at the helm for, for a number of seasons. Player-wise, they brought in Larry Nance Jr. and Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, they got rid of Dennis... Uh, Derek Jones Jr. So they're all about the juniors down at uh, Portland there, Caddy. Uh, Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood and uh, Ennis Cantor also um, shipped off from the Portland Trailblazers. So 44 and a half wins, Caddy. Uh, probably puts that's at about the clip they went at last year. Do you think they can replicate that or do you see them taking a little bit of a dip? Yeah, I think the party could be over in Portland with this group. But I think they've gone to gone to war a few times, um, you know, with that backcourt of McCollum and Lillard and and they put pieces around them each and every year. And obviously, Norm Powell's probably that that third scorer they've they brought in um, last year, who they've continued to or they re-signed into to this season. But look, I just got to get a sense that if they start slowly, then you know this could implode pretty quickly on on Portland, and and maybe that that finally that trade might happen, whether it be the big Damian Lillard trade or McCollum um, that they look to move on. But I get the feeling out of you know some of these. Big Western Conference power teams that we that have been around the mark the last few years, whether it be Denver or Utah, the Clippers, Dallas and Portland. I, I'm probably most lukewarm on on Portland being the team that potentially could could um, you know self destruct if things don't go their way early in the season. And that's no disrespect to Damian Lillard, who's been you know clearly an outstanding player and and, and no doubt will continue to be. And and, and hopefully for for Portland's sake, he they, he starts well and, and they start well. But I just I think this one's got um, got some warts on it here. Um, I think they've probably just rolled it back one year too many. And, you know, with the rookie head coach as well coming in, I, I think this is uh, fraught with danger and I'll, I'll take the under. And, and, you know, I think this potentially could be a sub-500 team. Ooh, going, going strong on your uh, Portland Trailblazers take. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you, Caddy. I actually like the over. So, so for me, last year, they just had a, a horrendous run with injuries. So CJ McCollum who at the start of the season was on fire when we did our, our predictions for All-Stars. I put him in, even though I knew he wasn't going to make it, given his injury status, but I, he was he was outstanding at the start of the year. So he missed 25 games last year. Yusuf Nurkic, who was just so important to them uh, defensively, he missed 35 games. So you've got your second and your third best player missing 25 and 35 games respectively. So you would hope that you would get a bit more injury luck with, with those two um getting on the court a little bit more. So they can roll out a starting lineup of CJ, uh, Dame Lillard, 
uh, Norm Powell, Robert Covington, and Yusuf Nurkic. Now that's that that starting five put up some really good numbers last year. I think in the Denver Nuggets series, which which, which they lost, that five had a had a plus rating of I haven't got it in front of me, but it was significant. And it was just basically when when their bench came in that they really struggled. So if you look at their bench this year, I think Larry Nance Jr. is a really good in for them. He's probably been off the radar, I guess, playing for a Cleveland team that have been pretty much horrendous over the last few years. I think he can really add to them, um, you know, this season. Uh, Tony Snell, who they've also brought in, I think will be really good. Anthony Simons has to take this step that we've been hearing about Anthony Simons for the last couple of seasons. So they're going to be counting on Simons to be able to do that. Hopefully for their sake he does. Uh, Cody Zeller they've also brought in as well as a backup big. And Ben back and Ben McLemore who can come off the bench and, and catch fire at any stage. So I think they've got enough depth on that bench, coupled with, I think, a really, really good starting five. Uh, Dame's going to be playing at a near MVP level. Um, and if they can have a little bit more um, uh, luck, I guess, with health, I think they can hit the over of this 44 and a half wins. We've seen them do that in the past. You know, they've been perennially been a, a, a mid to high 40 wins uh, team when they've been able to get their team on the park. So I'm counting on them being able to do that. I think Billups is a good in, even though he's obviously never coached before, and that's always, you know, a big question mark, a, a guy who's never coached. He, he seems to be one of those guys when when you hear him talk that he's going to demand the respect from the locker room. He's obviously a, a former champion and a, a finals MVP, so they're all going to respect the, what he what he has to say. So I'm drinking the, the, the Portland Trailblazers Kool-Aid, and I'm going over at the 46.5 wins. We'll move on now to the Sacramento Kings. They were 31-41. and 41. Last year, which was good for 12th in the West, uh, in the offseason, they brought in Davion Mitchell with the ninth pick. Um, they also brought in Tristan Thompson and Alex Len. Out went DeLon Wright. They've actually caddied, got the longest playoff drought in the NBA. They're over and under is 36 and a half wins. Can they get close to that mark or even get close to, to breaking that premiership, uh, sorry, that playoff drought? Well, they call it even that, that ballpark with uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, just basically being you know, on that treadmill of mediocrity for so long and, and really waiting for something to pop. And, you know, you look at the team again this year and, and it's very similar to what they had last year and really based around the improvement of, you know, continued improvement of the Aaron Fox and, and how good he potentially could come. I don't know that we've got that same enthusiasm around Marvin Bagley's level of improvement. You know, I think almost what we see now is what we're going to get out of him, which is clearly disappointing when you see the other players that were drafted in and around him in that, in that well, what's now a, a quite a super draft. I, I like to look at Damian Mitchell in the preseason. I think, you know, he's going to come in and contribute for them uh, straight away. And um, Rashawn Holmes is an analytical um, favourite, I think. Everyone likes to see um, what he does, um, which is often underappreciated for the wider audience. But, um, you know, Tyrese Hulley-Burden's the other you know, good, young, exciting play here. But really, it's a, it's a much of the same here for, for Sacramento. And unless there's a, a big trade there, whether they package up a couple of these young players to get a, a you know, a superstar-level player, whether it's, you know, something maybe Ben Simmons could be involved with potentially just to, to change things up, um, who knows. But look, they've only won over 36 games twice since 2006. I don't think this will be the third time. I think I'll take the slide under and take 35 wins uh, for Sacramento this season. So there's a couple of two big question marks for me. You mentioned Marvin Bagley. Is this you said that you, what what we've seen so far is probably what we're going to get? Well, they obviously need more out of Bagley. So you know they took him with the number two pick in the draft. 
in, in front of guys like Luka Doncic, uh, Trey Young, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Michael Porter Jr., just to name a few guys that you know the Sacramento Kings could have on their roster instead of Marvin Bagley at the moment. So that's a huge question mark. Can he stay on the floor and produce at, at a good enough level to to help them win some games? And the biggest question mark, the other big question mark for me as well, is Luke Walton. How long does he have before he's you know shown the door? If Caddy, I'll, I'll give you a hypothetical here. If I said to you, name the first. NBA coach to get fired, and I said you can have Luke Walton or you could take the field. Which one would you take? <laughs> I think he's yeah, he's going to be right on the tre- uh, precipice all year, um, or even early in the season. I think yeah, I, I'd probably take Luke Walton. I think he's he's almost a dead man walking unless they can come out and be a plus five hundred team in the first month. Um, you know, I think it's a hiding to nothing for, for Luke Walton, and you know they'll be looking for a scapegoat, and generally it's the coach who's um, you know had some battles already with this young team um, over the first few years. So I think, um, yeah, look, I, I just can't see it. Them taking the big jump, you know, we saw Phoenix take the big jump last year, but, you know, that was based around a couple of, you know, almost superstar-level players that we already knew they had, whereas I think we're still waiting for that to pop um, in Sacramento. And, and you know, we, we know that Darren Fox is a good young player, but he, I don't think he's still at the level that uh, Devin Booker was at um, heading into last season. So I think they're... Potentially still another year away if one of these guys does really improve, but I, I can't see it being this season. Yeah, I, I agree with your Luke Walton take. I, I, I was surprised he held on to his job, and I would also take Walton over the field. So th- there's going to be a huge amount of pressure on him. I, I would actually like to see them sort of get a little bit experimental. So I'd like to see him go small. Now, this lineup wouldn't won't defend much, but if you throw out a lineup of Darren Fox, uh, Torres Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, Buddy Hield, and Harrison Barnes at the five, that's going to be incredibly difficult to defend or be incredibly difficult for them to defend anyone as well. But I'd, I'd just like to see them experiment with some stuff like that. Mitchell, you mentioned, has looked at in the preseason, looks like a good defender, you know, and Harrison Barnes can play a little bit tall. So I'd like to see them do stuff like that. But their starting lineup of Fox, Halliburton, Barnes, probably Mo Harkless and, and Holmes, that, that's decent enough. And then off the bench, you've got Buddy Hield, who was almost traded in the offseason, um, Davion Mitchell, uh, Bagley, Terence Davis, Alex Len, Tristan Thompson. So I think they've got enough sort of talent in the starting lineup and also enough depth coming off the bench. Um, that I, I'm not certainly not suggesting they're going to end this this uh, record playoff drought, but I, I actually like, probably stupidly so, Caddy, I like the over at about 38 wins for, for this Sacramento team. I think Darren Fox is going to take another step forward. Tyrese Halliburton in his second year is going to be good. Um, I'm sort of half-heartedly uh, predicting Bagley to have some sort of impact. and So so I, I sort of like the pieces they've got, and I think that they can hit the over with 38 wins. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the San Antonio Spurs. So last year they were 33-39, and 39, which was good for 10th in the West. In the offseason, uh, they brought in uh, Doug McDermott, Zach Collins, Thad Young, your favourite Bryn Forbes, uh, the Aussie Jock Landale, and Josh Primo with the 12th pick. Going out the door was certainly some experience in DeMar DeRozan, uh, Aussie Paddy Mills, uh, Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, and Gorgie Jang. So uh, the over and under caddy is 29.5 wins. Greg Popovich needs 26 wins to become the winningest coach in, in NBA history and overtake Donnie, Don Nelson for that honour. Do you think he's going to get there this season? Can you repeat that line for me? Sorry, mate. Uh, 29.5. It's almost scandalous to, to say that they could go under when – for so many years, they were just a lock for, for 50 wins. But, you know, this is certainly a different team. Uh, it's not one that we really, the Greg Popovich has ever had to coach where, 
they've really stripped it back and and they're sort of going forward with this young core of Derek White, John St. Murray, and um, Keldon Johnson, who probably the three three really young players they're looking to build around at, at this stage. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I'd probably be leaning towards under here, um, which is just, yeah, quite incredible to, to think that, that the Spurs have fallen this way. And it, it's sort of been um, just a, a slow burn backwards uh, for the Spurs. They kind of hung on. Um, and we're almost too competitive there probably a season or two ago where, where things were looking like they were going to uh, fall apart. But you know, to their credit, they, they continued to, to be competitive and, and push um, into, into playoff um, position. So, but as you mentioned, with the demand of Rosen going, you know, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge has finished up, Paddy Mills, Ruby Day. So it's a, it's, a, it's a different breed of spur now. And I think really that the way they've been, um, or the way they've built over the years has been through landing an elite player in the draft with um, David Robinson and then um, Tim Duncan. I think that might be the path they're looking to head down again and, and try and get into the bottom few teams here. And, uh, and this will certainly be a year that they can, can do it with this roster because it, 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 it is young, it's inexperienced, and it doesn't have a, an A-level player um, yet on it. So I'll take the, the slight under on um, San Antonio Spurs. So you mentioned it's scandals, I think, was, was the word you used to, to go under on the Spurs. If you if you just put a different jersey on this roster and and you didn't even know who the coach was, would you be even considering them getting anywhere near the twenty nine and a half wins? No, probably not. I, I think it's really only out of respect to the organisation and um, and pop that you're you're considering to you always just think of the Spurs in in such positive light. And look, I, I think Jonte Murray is a quality player and and you know on the maybe on the brink of a breakout year potentially, but yeah, I don't think he's quite there yet. Um, you know they've added some some nice veteran pieces around it with Thaddeus Young and Doug McDermott, Zach Collins. You know who knows what what level of play he's going to have or input for them. You know he's always been highly highly touted. So, um, but really I think it, it is a rebuilding year and, and their best path forward. I think at this stage is to to head down to the to the to that draft lottery and, and, and take their chances again there. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly time. They need to rebuild, and it's time they do it. You mentioned that they sort of built a couple of dynasties on having uh, pick number one in the draft when they got uh, Robinson and Tim Duncan. So when you look at their roster, there's certainly no star screaming out at you. You mentioned DeJounte Murray has got potential, and, yeah, he certainly does. He's he's a quality NBA player, but I don't know whether he's ever going to make an all-star team. So when you look at their team, DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Calden Johnson – Doug McDermott and Jakob Podol is probably going to be their starting five. And then you're bringing Devin Vassell, Bryn Forbes, Lonnie Walker, Thad Young, uh, Zach Collins, who's, who's not due back until after Christmas, off the bench. It's just a sort of a – there's nothing all that exciting, I don't think, anyway, about this team at the moment. So j- just a lot of sort of average-style NBA players. I mentioned last week that when we spoke about Indiana, I thought that they probably had the hot, the lowest, highest-paid player on their roster in Malcolm Brogdon. I think he was about the 20 – 20 to 21 million. Well, it's taken me a week to work out I was wrong because DeJounte Murray is the Spurs' highest paid player at 15 million. So they've just got a lot of guys that, that are just sort of either average or, or below league average. So I just think they lost a lot of scoring in DeRozan and Mills and, and Rudy Gay. And, and I don't think they've replaced it well enough. And as I mentioned, if, if they weren't wearing a Spurs jersey, you wouldn't even think twice about going under at the 29 and a half wins. I am going to go under, but similar to what you said, you, I'm going to take the 28 wins, and I'm only going that close out of respect for the organisation and Greg Popovich. So what what did you go with? What what number did you go with? 
Uh, yeah, just slight, slight under. I, I think well, the line was 29.5. I think yeah, I'll go with the 28 wins as well there. Um, but again, look, it wouldn't surprise me if they were at the at the bottom, uh, the low end of the 20s potentially as well. So, uh, but out of respect, I think you've got to pay their dues uh, at least and give them a chance to, to maybe try and hit that number. So, so that had been Popovich would become the winningest coach in NBA history. And what could potentially be uh, Popovich's last season as a head coach, and that's probably been rumoured for a couple of seasons that he that he, that it might be his last year. Every year you're sort of hearing whispers about that. But if he if he can get past that that mark, um, you'd imagine that he, you know he might hang up his whistle and, and move on. So you know, hopefully for his sake they do get those 26 wins. I'll move on now, Caddy, to the last team uh, that we need to speak about, which is the Utah Jazz. Last year they were 52 and 20, which was good for first in the West. Uh, they lost in the second round in six games to the Clippers. Um, they're over and under this year. Sorry, I'll run through. They got in. They, they got in Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal, and Hassan Whiteside. And going out was uh, Derek Favors, Ersan Ilyasova, and Georges Niang. 53 and a half wins is the over and under, which seems low to me, Caddy. Do you agree with that? I do. Like we just touched on the Spurs. This is a team that's sort of becoming a little bit Spursy for mine um, around the way that they're building and built. I think, yeah, just really consistent with the roster. Um, you mentioned there's a couple of new faces um, that we expect to, to play, you know, some significant role. Probably Rudy Gay, the the most likely out of the ones you mentioned. I think we know Whiteside will be a serviceable um, backup behind Go Bear. And Eric Pascal, well, I think, you know, that's only going to be icing on the, on the top if he can, you know, have any sort of role for them at all. But really, you know, they're, they're built around Donovan Mitchell and, and Go Bear. They're the one-two punch here. Um, uh, we saw Bogdanovich, you know, had a really solid season for them. Conley played well. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, you know, the sixth man of the year. So, you know, Joe Ingles, I think, probably now finally heading into the twilight of, of what's been an incredible career. But, you know, he's probably got one last year here to, to really help push them into a into a more meaningful uh, playoff run. But from a regular season point of view, I think, you know, that, that line is far too low. I think they could be pushing up into the high 50s potentially here. Um, you know, they've, they've got that continuity that we've spoken about. They're so consistent and so professional and, and you know, almost borderline a bit boring, you know, because it, because it is so so familiar. So, you know, I like the over here and I think they'll, they'll do it re- relatively comfortable. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I've, I've got the, uh, the over as well. I'd, they're, ju- they're just a team. That, they're just built for the regular season. So th- they base their team around Rudy Gobert. He's... He's clearly the best defender uh, in the NBA during the regu- the regular season. Now he, he has been exposed at times during the playoffs, but that doesn't matter during the regular season. They surround him with shooters, Conley, Ingles, Mitchell, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, O'Neal. They all shoot a really high clip from, from three. Really tough to beat at home, so they've got a distinct home court advantage. Um, I do like, you mentioned there, that the Rudy Gay ad. I really like that. So that's going to allow them to play small, and I'm sure Rudy Gay is going to play some small ball fire for them. Um, so I do like that inclusion, as well as well as Eric Pascal, who showed some some promise for the Warriors in, in the couple of seasons that he spent there. And, and I'm expecting Donovan Mitchell to take another leap. So he's he's into his fifth season now. He was absolutely fantastic in, in the playoffs, as he has been right throughout his career. Um for the Utah Jazz, and he was playing on one ankle, if we're to believe the reports that were coming out at the time during the playoffs. So I'm expecting him to take a season, and if I was going to have an absolute dark horse candidate for the MVP, I'm not expecting he's going to win it, but if you want to get someone with some decent odds and chuck a couple of dollars on him, you could do worse than throwing it on Donovan Mitchell. He could he could become a 
29 point per game scorer and if he can lift that efficiency and and the Utah Jazz can again be one of the one of the best teams in the west um you could do worse as i said to put some money on him so i'm hitting the over as well uh for them the 53 and a half wins i'm i'm going to get them up at 56 wins even i just i just think they're a really good regular season team um and they're going to want to get a really good uh seed again and and hopefully rectify their their playoff failures that they've had over the last couple of seasons so that, that we've gone through all of them now, Katie. I asked you last week for a couple of uh, locks, if you like. What, what do you like for the West this season for a couple of your locks? I like, I like Utah. I think that, that's a, that's a lock for me. If, if you're basically telling me they only have to win the, effectively the same amount of games as they did last year in what was a shortened season, um, and they you know effectively the same team, I really like that. I think they'll they'll cover that really comfortably. From the from the other end of things, I I think the Houston Rockets is the is the lock on the under. I think what they twenty seven and a half or something below there. I think they'll be well below that, below that, and, and be struggling to hit sort of that that twenty twenty one wins. I think they're uh, you know in the Detroit Pistons mould of um of ordinary. So they're probably my two in terms of an over and an under. Yeah, I also like the Utah, but I'll I'll pick another one. Phoenix is the one for me, just given. What they did last year, fifty-one wins. They only need one more win, and they've they've got ten more games to do. So, all the young guys certainly are going to look to get better. Booker, Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson, um, Jalen Smith. These guys could, you know, for you could only see improvement coming out of those guys. So, I really like the over for the Phoenix Suns, and an under for me. I'm I'm going to go uh, with the San Antonio Spurs, even though as a, as as we both said, we really respect the the organization and the coach. I just think that. They they just need to to hit the you know hit the reset button and rebuild and, and try and get some some real good quality stars around some of these guys who are who are who are nice sort of average NBA players but certainly going to be not going to be players that are going to take your franchise to you know to extended playoff runs over the season so they're they're my under uh, lock uh, for the West so we've got the the season caddy kicking off in a few days. Um, so so next week we'll pr- maybe we'll make some predictions, our MVP predictions, our rookie of the years, all those fun stuff that uh, everyone likes to to make predictions and never never be held accountable to at the end of the season. So we'll make our predictions ne- next year, and I'm sure that uh, you're certainly looking forward to to uh, the season tipping off. I think it's on Wednesday, is it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday from? Wednesday our time. Wednesday our time. Yep. So yeah, so so should be should be fun, um, and no doubt uh, there'll be some some stuff to talk about next week. So uh, once again, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.